0: Good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak.
1: Before we come to study the Word of God today, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you for listening and encourage you to get in touch with us. Please let us know your uh, thoughts on the programming and particularly if the Lord has blessed you through the word we would very much like to hear from you. You can contact us at malvernfpc at yahoo.com That's malvernfpc at yahoo.com Today we're broadcasting a devotional message preached at the celebration of the ordinance known as the Lord's Supper. As a church, we celebrate the Lord's Supper each month on the first Lord's Day of the month at 10 a.m. The ordinance, or the sacrament, goes by a number of different terms. But whatever term we use, we read of its institution in Matthew 26. And the verse 25 and following says this, And as they were eating, that is the disciples in the upper room, Jesus took bread, and blessed it, and break it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take it, this is my body. And he took the cup, and gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine, until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. These verses record the time when Christ was celebrating the Passover with his disciples. And as his death approached, he was giving his disciples, his followers, a memorial whereby they could remember his work on their behalf. Just in passing, the Westminster Shorter Catechism question 92 Says that a sacrament is a holy ordinance instituted by Christ. The word sacrament may not be popular in many circles, particularly in Protestant circles, largely due to an, an abuse of the term. But very simply, the term denotes something that is sacred. And for Protestant churches, there is an understanding based on the Word of God that the two sacraments are those of baptism. the Lord's Supper. These sacraments do not save sinners. I want to make that very clear and plain to you listeners today. Simply being baptized or receiving the elements of the Lord's Supper will not save you. Salvation comes by faith alone in the finished work of Christ alone. But the fact that the sacraments do not save does not make them unimportant. Both sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper were ordained of Christ for the benefit of the believer. And that is certainly the case with the Lord's Supper. In the Lord's Supper, we receive bread and the cup or the fruit of the vine. It is a a very important time for the church. It is certainly a time for remembering. It is a memorial service. We partake remembering Christ. This do in remembrance of me, said the Saviour. We remember his broken body. We remember and reflect upon his shed blood. And we remember these things with a spirit of thanksgiving. The term Eucharist has been used, a term that denotes thanksgiving. And certainly when we come to meet around the Lord's table, we are coming to thank the Lord for coming willingly to give His life, to save us from our sins. It's also a time for relationship. It's known as communion. And certainly we fellowship, we communion one with another, but particularly we delight in our fellowship with the Lord. It is a time to to meet with our Savior, and to worship Him, and to, to hear Him speak, and to speak to Him in prayer. And with that in mind, it is a time for receiving. We deny emphatically the error that the elements change in the sacrament. The Roman Catholic error of transubstantiation teaches that the bread becomes the body of Christ and the cup contains the very blood of Christ. We deny that as an error that is not taught in the Word of God. However, we do affirm that when we partake the elements We are to receive Christ by faith. We take Christ spiritually, and as we take him our faith is strengthened. We consider him, we meditate upon him, we ponder all that he has done for us and and we affirm that Jesus is not simply our Savior, but He is our Savior, Uh, and we take Him by faith anew as we receive the elements. The table is also a time for relating. The Word of God says that we show forth or display or proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. It is an opportunity for all to see this is how sinners are saved. It is only through the breaking of our Saviour's body on the cross and the shedding of His blood that any of us can know salvation from our sins. And so as a, as a church, we believe very firmly in the importance of, of meeting regularly as the Lord has appointed and ordained. It is an important time for the, the church to, again, to fellowship together and to meet with the Lord. And thus, just now we're going to turn to the Word of God, and today we're going to look at an Old Testament passage, a passage that points forward to the Savior, points forward to His work and a passage that we can reflect upon, as we would consider the taking of the bread and the cup. I trust the Lord will bless the word to your hearts today. Let's turn in the copy of the Word of God this morning to Numbers chapter 16, and number 16. I've been through this portion of God's Word in the last uh, couple of weeks and again have been reminded of how rich a book it is in terms of the, uh, the gospel truths and the pictures that we have in this Old Testament portion. Yes, while there are some uh, difficult sections re- re- regarding the numbering, there are some most rich pictures of the gospel in this portion of God's Word. I want to turn your attention to one of them. It's in Numbers 16 uh, and it's found in the verse number 41. Again, you'll appreciate that uh, for time we can't read the entire chapter, uh, but the previous section deals with the rebellion of the sons of Korah, and again God's uh, remarkable judgment on that company and the fire that came out and the earth that opened. Uh, verses thirty-three through thirty-five. Of the chapter uh, again is a very sobering account of God's coming in judgment. But verse forty-one, it says this: "But on the morrow." Aye, the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, saying, "Ye have killed the people of the Lord. And it came to pass, when the congregation was gathered against Moses and against Aaron, that they looked toward the tabernacle of the congregation. And behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. And Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of the congregation. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, and get you up from among this congregation, that I may consume them as in a moment. And they fell upon their faces. And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censer, and put fire therein from off the altar, and put on incense, and go quickly unto the congregation, and make an atonement for them, for there is wrath gone out from before the Lord. The plague is begun. And Aaron took as Moses commanded, and ran into the midst of the congregation, and behold, the plague was begun among the people. And he put on incense and made an atonement for the people, and he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stayed. Now they that died in the plague were fourteen thousand and seven hundred beside them that died about the matter of Korah. And Aaron returned unto Moses, unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and the plague was stayed." Amen. May God indeed uh, write his word upon our hearts today for uh, our good and for his glory. Undoubtedly, some of the accounts of the Old Testament God make us feel somewhat uncomfortable. We have considered in recent times the conquest of the land and the death of the woman and the children in the days of Joshua. Here we read of almost 15,000 who die due to their act of rebellion against the Lord. Can this really be the loving God that we find revealed in the Scriptures? Can this be the God that so loves the world that He sent His Son into the world? And thus there is a a tendency among some to divorce the Testaments, that the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New. Of course, there are uh, several problems with that thinking. A God whom we find to be acceptable in our understanding, is, of course, a God of our imagination. And therefore, it is a man-made God, and therefore no God at all. The God that we would like to invent is a God that we have created in our minds, and therefore is not the self-existent God who made us, but rather God that we sought to make. Furthermore, if we suggest that the God of the Old Testament has changed in the New, we are presuming that he's changed for the better. And therefore, was he less than God before he changed? As we find revealed in the Old Testament, there are so many problems with a mindset that says that the Old Testament God is different and distinct from the New, There is one true and living God, the eternal God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever the unchanging God. So however we may feel about these verses, we must understand that they are a true revelation of the ways of God. Such a denial, of course, of God's wrath, because that is the problem. Such a denial of God's wrath has led to lack of value of the cross. When you remove the wrath of God from your thought, then the cross is robbed of its vital ingredient, the Son of God, appeasing the wrath of God, which is justly upon us for our sins. Therefore, if we are to rightly value the table around which we sit today, we must rightly grasp afresh the work of Christ on the cross. And to do that, we must never, ever forget the solemn truth of God's wrath towards sin. I want to just very quickly highlight some some features of this particular portion with that in mind. And the first thing to note is the plague. Verse number 46 refers to a plague. It says there, the plague is begun in the last verses or the last words of the verse. The plague refers to a a pestilence of some sort spreading among the people leading to death. It's, It's clearly that this plague came from the Lord. It is from the Lord that this plague has arisen. And as such, we must take it as a very solemn and a serious warning. It says there in verse number 46, For there is wrath gone out from the Lord. This wrath is a response to the hearts of the people. Verse number 41, it says, Ye have killed the people of the Lord. They are accusing Aaron and Moses of some sin of omission. That they could have done something they didn't do. They could have prevented this death. And they are held responsible by the people for the death of the multitude of those who committed the rebellion of Korah. But what this murmuring and complaining reveals is, of course, a state of heart. Luke 6 reminds us that of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaketh. And so the words that are issued here are words that reveal something of the heart. There is a resentment to God's dealings. We we should always beware in our minds the spirit that says, I know better than God. That if I was in God's position at that time, I would not have behaved in that manner. It's often manifested in the words or the question, why would God do this? Or why would God allow that? Such a questioning at times reveals a resentment to the ways of God. It's a proud spirit that says, I know better than God. It's a very dangerous spirit. Remember, that spirit manifests itself in Romans chapter 9. we in discussion of the sovereignty of God. You know, Jacob, I love thee, so I hate it. It then comes to the point, who art thou, O man? And that answers back to God. And thus there is a spirit of times of resentment to the ways of God. There is also a spirit of confusion in the hearts of the people. They are confused as to what is right and what is wrong. Not how they refer to the people. They are the people of the Lord. In their hearts they were anything but that. Those who rebelled were very much against the Lord. The Lord had anointed. Again, the biblical leadership of his people. And they were rebelling against that leadership. They were not the Lord's people. And thus their murmuring in verse 41 demonstrates that their hearts were not right before God. It is is in passing a fearful thing to see their hearts at this time. The people in verse 41 were the same as those who are mentioned in verse number 34. And all Israel that were round about them fled at the cry of them. There were those in verse 33 who went down alive into the pit and the earth closed upon them and as they go down into the pit there's a cry. What a cry that must have been. What a fearful cry of those who are suffering the judgment of God. And yet the company who heard that cry have the temerity to the next day murmur against the Lord and against Moses, and against Aaron. You know, we, we have not heard the chilling cries of those who go down into the pits, but we have in the word of God many accounts of the reality of the wrath of God in hell. And thus it causes us to, again, to contemplate the, uh, the solemn truth that to fear God is not the same as to flee to God. You know, there were uh, different times in many uh, forest fires. Do you think of those in California? And those who out of terror of the fire may run, but they may find themselves running into the fire and not running to safety. You know, there are some, and children, I I warn you of this very solemnly. You may fear the wrath of God in hell, uh, and you may run from the wrath of God in hell, but you may not run to the right place. You may run to some security you think you have in your parents or in the church or some other for- form of security, but if you're going to run from the wrath of God, you must ensure you run to Christ. That as you flee in the fear of God, they, they were terrified of God here. They were, they, were, they were trembling as it were. They fled. But their hearts were not right with God at that time. And thus, the wrath of God here was not provoked by those who were living rat as lives. They were those who lived under the fear, the terror of God. Oh, they were not guilty of oh, dancing and drinking and drug-taking, but their hearts were not right with God. They had a resentment towards the ways of God. They argued that God was not just and fair. It's a good time when you come around the table that all of us who are not guilty of rat as living we examine our hearts to make sure that we have the right respect towards the ways of God. There are things happening in this world that cause us to wonder and to ponder. But God's ways are always perfect. And we must at all times ensure that we have a submissive heart to the ways of God. And as we come around the table, it's a good time to remind ourselves that this table manifests the wrath of God towards sin. Sin not just in the outward action, but the sins of the heart. And so whilst this plague, it shows our response to the hearts of the people, it also shows a revelation of the wrath of God. Look at verse number 42. The glory of the Lord appears. God does not take sin lightly. Even, perhaps especially, the sins of the heart. And that's in verse 44. The Lord speaks to, Mo, speaks to Moses and says to him, Get you out from among this congregation. I'm going to consume them in a moment. Oh, this is an act of grace. God is again giving warning as he warned the people in the days of Noah that wrath was coming. So he gives warning here. He's going to come in his wrath. And verse 46 the plague begins. This term plague is usually translated with the word plague, sometimes with the word slaughter in terms of what might happen in a battle. But when the word plague is used, it always speaks of two things something sent by God in response to sin. It is, again, significant in the, uh, the later sins in Numbers 25 regarding the, the sins of Baal Peor. It says in Psalm 1, uh, 106 in the verse number 29, thus they provoked him to anger with their inventions and the plague breaking in upon them. The similar, similar terms being used. You see, God's disposition towards sin leads to actual judgment being executed. God is not only angry with the wicked. That anger will manifest itself in judgment. And God's wrath is is more than just a disposition against sin. It comes in true acts of judgment. And so you have the plague mentioned here. You've also the person then in verse number 2. And the person I'm thinking about, of course, is the person of Aaron. Verse number 48. And he stood. Verse number 47. And Aaron took as Moses commanded And as Aaron acts, you then read in verse 48 that the plague was stayed. It stopped. It was restrained. It seems to me the picture is this, that the plague, it spreads like fire from outside toward the center. And they're camped around the tabernacle. And you can picture the distress. The news is spreading from the outside as the the camp is around the tabernacle in the middle. And what's happening? News is spreading like wildfire of souls who are going into an eternity without God. Their lives are being lost. The plague has begun. The plague is coming. And thus you find Aaron coming. And he takes on his role as a high priest. He is the one who represents man to God. You think of the high priest's garment, the names of the people upon the shoulder and upon the breastplate. Here is Aaron. He's representing the people before God. And he steps in as the person appointed of God. Reminds, of course, of our blessed Savior. Wherefore, holy brethren, Hebrews 3, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus he was faithful to him that appointed him. The persons mentioned here. And then thirdly, very quickly, the position he took. Verse 47, and Aaron took, and Aaron ran, and Aaron stood. You see that in verse 47 and 48? Aaron took, he ran, and he stood. His act here is an act of obedience. He obeys Moses, verse number 46. And Moses said unto Aaron, take a censer. He acts in obedience. He again is a, a type of Christ. Christ, who was obedient to death, he obeyed all the way of his life to death and also obeyed in his death, the death of the cross. Christ was always obedient. And the promptness of his obedience is is tremendous to see. Look what it says. Aaron took and ran. He ran into the midst of the congregation. He made haste and delayed not to do that which was his duty. Christ. Or mediator runs into history to be a redeemer. He does not delay. He makes haste and he runs to the bidding of his father. He runs into the place, the position that he will occupy. He comes delighting to do the will of his father. It is here in Aaron's case, an act of bravery. He placed himself in the midst of the mob that raged against him. They murmur, verse 41, against Moses and against Aaron. And Aaron now comes in bravery. He identifies himself with those who despise him, with those who were against him. And in his act of love, he seeks not the good of his friends, but the good of those who were his enemies. They despise him and he still runs into their midst to stand between God and them. So the plague would be stayed. Greater love hath no man than this. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Jesus, lover of my soul. What a friend we have in Jesus. All of these terms, they come in upon us as we see our blessed Savior running in obedience, in bravery, and in courage to stand before the very wrath of God on our behalf. His obedience is seen, but also his offering is seen. Look at his work. He ran, and again, as Moses told him to do, he took a censer, the fire pan of Exodus 38. He took that fire pan and fired upon it the fire that came from the altar of the burnt offering. The brazen altar, the the place of sacrifice, the place where the animal was, was burned and consumed in the wrath of God. And there he takes the fire from off the altar. And upon that fire he places incense. The incense that consistently speaks of prayer. Let my prayer be set before thee as incense, said the psalmist. The incense of of Revelation chapter 8. The prayers of all the saints. Incense refers to prayer. So what we see here Aaron doing. We see him coming and making atonement. It says that in verse 46. He comes and makes a a covering for their sins. As he comes and before God, he presents the work of the atonement in the act of intercession. Is that not what our blessed Savior does? Do we not see that, the combination of atonement and intercession? Is it not true of our Saviour? In Isaiah fifty three in the verse number fifty. sorry verse number twelve, therefore will I divide him in portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul into death. He is the one upon the brazen altar. He was numbered with the transgressors, he stands in the midst of sinners, and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And we see it here in the person of the high priest. Christ comes, and by his own blood, he enters into the holy place. We come today to remember the truth that our blessed Savior comes and stands between the living and the dead. The plague begins. We see the wrath of God being revealed against all ungodliness. We see the wrath of God being poured out upon the sons of disobedience, and our blessed Savior runs into time. In the fullness of time, he comes and he runs to stand. And we are safe behind him. If we are to face the wrath of God in front of him, I fear for your soul. But if you come to the point where you're behind the great high priest and you stand behind the great high priest by faith, And praise God, we will live and never die. And that is why we're here again this morning, isn't it? To meditate, to rejoice, and to delight again in the remembrance of our Savior, who loved us and gave himself for us.
0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the Gospel or the Church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.